Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. and welcome back to episode number 12 of the cross to crown podcast i had to check my number there because of the fact that i messed up a couple of weeks ago um and uh, we just recorded episode 11 just a few minutes ago we wrapped that up and we're starting episode 12 so i just want to make sure i'm shooting straight here so this is episode 12 we're going to discuss the topic of assurance today uh the assurance of one's salvation uh this is a, is, is a topic which a lot of folks wrestle with and um uh it's it's we're not going to try to be so uh, we're not trying to be scholarly or anything like that here and academic with the topic. We want to hit more of a pastoral aspect of it. And, and Doug, who's got, uh, Doug, how long have you been a pastor now? Uh, 20, almost 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, that, that's about a little less time than you've been married, right? Uh, a little, that's true. Yes. Been married yeah. 26. So 26. Almost, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that, it's, and that's, that's, you, you've probably been pastoring longer than some of our audience has been alive. So. Oh, why? Why, Chris? Why? <laughs> oh, well, my, my, I had a reminder of my age this week. Um, my wife and I are sitting at the, at the table last night, and uh, we went to the, the parent-teacher conference. Now, we do a charter school, where I homeschool three times a week, and, and the kids go to a charter school two times a week. And the teacher there, um, she's a younger lady. And uh, I, was, I was filling my wife in on some information that we, we got. And I was talking about the teacher being a young lady. And she goes, she goes, um, uh, she goes well, how, how young is she? And I said, well, she's only in her 20-something. And my wife said something to her like, um, yeah, she's old enough to be your dad's daughter. And I, <laughs> thanks. And my daughter, she, her, doll, her jaw just dropped like, you could be her dad. You're that old. And I, <laughs> uh, I know. That happens to me all the time. So we... Uh, my wife and I, we open our home to especially the young singles from mm-hmm. our church. Just Sunday right. afternoon, they come over all the time and mm-hmm. unannounced, just walk in and, and that kind of thing. And, cool. you know, when we started doing that, uh, every now and then I'd be, you know, <laughs> giving some counsel, some advice, some instruction or whatever, and say, uh, you know, like, you could be my daughter and then say, ha, no, you couldn't. And now I can't say, ha, ha, no, you couldn't. I mean, <laughs> the truth right. Pretty much all these <laughs> Young twenty-something girl, like yeah, you could be my daughter. Actually. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough now to be your dad. That's, That's right. And our we sponsored a cadet for four years here at the Air Force Academy, and uh, she is stationed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But mm-hmm. she's back up here for three months to run this uh, program, so she's living with us. And uh, I mean, she's twenty, what, twenty-three, twenty-four, something like that. Yeah. And she's like, I treat her like my oldest daughter around here. And like, yep, she definitely could be my daughter. This, I, I don't feel that old, but uh, the calendar says I am. Yeah. Hey, you know, I just realized we talk a lot about us getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Do we? <laughs> I think, I think every episode, every other, every other episode, we brought our age up or something. Is that right? And, well, you started. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that there's guys listening to our our show and they're going, yeah, whippersnappers. Yeah, you know, <laughs> probably. <laughs> wait till you're in your 60s or 70s. So, and well, my and dad's 96, are... so I may only be halfway wait, done. Whoa. you know, mm. kind of how I look mm. at it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm about halfway done too. But if we got any folks who are in their 60s and 70s listening to us, uh, God bless you and thank you for li- indulging us. 
<laughs> you should be teaching us. That's right. You've got yes. the wisdom. So um, we were, as I was saying before I brought your age into this, um, or my age, one, one of us, um, yeah, your age, uh, you've got a lot of pastoral experience in this area, uh, counseling folks on, on the topic of insurance. So we're going to rely a lot upon that today. Um, before we get into that, though, Douglas, um, let's, let's ask the question, because this episode is going to be released near the end of this month, October. Um, and, you know, it's that big holiday that's coming up at the end of October. Uh-huh. Reformation Day. No, no. That's right. That's right. Let's, let's go there. Harvest Festival. Um, <laughs> trunk or treat. Um, Halloween's coming up. What's your take on Halloween? Should, um, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Uh, should they take part in it in any, any form or fashion? What about churches? Uh, let's go back to age. Let's talk about a church. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so we did not uh, allow our kids to, uh, to dress up and trick or treat when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually may do it this year uh, for the first time. Mm. So I don't have a, a big deal. If, first of all, I think it's largely a – calling it a holiday is very hard for me. It's not a holy day. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a thing in our culture that really doesn't mean anything to anybody. Nobody right. has a clue. If you ask them what Halloween is, they don't have a clue what it is. Uh, don't remember so, its origins. Yeah. So for that reason, I'm kind of ambivalent on one hand thinking why you want to do something you have no idea why you're doing it. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, think, uh, you know, it's kind of harmless in that sense. Um, but we just, we just decided as a family, we're not going to do that, uh, mm-hmm. mostly for me, cause it was purposeless. I didn't like the idea of dressing up and I didn't, you know, certainly some of the evil characters and that right. kind of stuff, uh, I didn't want my kids exposed to. And in our day, which is different getting back to the age thing, when I was a kid, um, there was just nobody concerned about what would get put in your bag. And now, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to cut up, cut open every piece of candy to see what's in there and make sure there's no nothing hurtful it's like that's a lot of effort to put into it anyway i don't have <laughs> strong convictions against it uh i don't love it uh i would uh, so like i said we just haven't done it as a family as a church this is the first year in several years that we have not done what we call the fall festival mm-hmm. and it's always been well attended we had uh, six or seven hundred kids come through our our fall festival the last several years each year and it was just, we got bounce houses and all kinds. And what I did, all of our small groups um, created booths and had games and activities for the kids. And especially if we had a little bit of bad weather, man, we would just pack the house. It was a safe place. It was fun. Mm-hmm. We didn't call it Halloween or anything. So I don't know. I know there are Christians that have strong anti-Halloween <laughs> convictions and others who are like, oh, why? Why rob your kids of this joy and that kind of stuff? <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of really ambivalent. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other because... It's a pretty much a meaningless thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was opposed to it until I realized that I get a cut of the stash. Yeah. Well, of course, there's yeah. that. <laughs> you know, that's right. We, we had a, the last episode was on government. And um, uh, I, I, I have told my kids now that this is when, whenever they, when, for instance, we go to McDonald's. And I, I brought this up because of the fact that I get a cut, cut of their candy is what I said. But we go to McDonald's. And say, for instance, I order a uh, four four ice cream cones, and as they're being com- as they're coming through the window to me, the driver, to pass out to the kids, I take each one of them, and you know that little pointy top that each ice cream cone has. Mm-hmm. I I take that. I I literally, you know, bite off that top top, hand it to each one of them, and they ask me, "Why do you do that?" And I said, "It's a tax. It's it's I get it's- my cut." 
I'm teaching you a life lesson here. So, <laughs> see, this is why you and I get along so well. I, I've been taking daddy tax for years. Yes. In, in fact, just just last week, my 16 year old daughter got an, uh, an ice cream cup, and we were some folks, and she got it, and she turned and handed it to me, and I had my own coming, and the people with us said. Why did she do that? Said because it's daddy tax. And you know what? When when I should be careful how I say this. When um when those of the political persuasion that <laughs> raise like to raise taxes when they're in office, like for the last eight uh-huh. years, I told right. my kids, all right, I'm going to start taking an Obama sized tax just to show you how the real world works. And I'm going to eat right. like sixty percent of your, uh, your food. <laughs> oh man, that's that's we're we're like brothers here. That's that's good. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I'll have to tell Chloe that this is uh, my, my daughter, that this is not uh, just me doing this. No, it's the right thing to do. It's good parenting. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, for, for us, um, so, so I went through a phase before I had kids uh, when I was in my young 20s where, where I didn't, uh, uh, wasn't approving of Halloween and everything that, um, and that over the years I've changed on that where, where um, again, it's, it's become a meaningless thing. If it was celebrated in the way in which it, uh, you know, its roots came about, uh, I, I, I would have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I make sure that when my kids, we do this, we, we understand that we're not celebrating fear or mm-hmm. horror or, or the grotesque. And um, uh, in fact, when my kids see stuff that, you know, some people have gotten very frightening with the way they do their yards nowadays uh, for Halloween. Um, my kids even think that that's, they, they don't, seem to associate that necessarily with Halloween. They think, Oh, what's, what is wrong with that person? And I said, you know, we, that's right. We, we can do this as long as we're not getting involved with this idea of celebrating fear or uh, cruelty, uh, you know, violence and stuff like that. So uh, it has to be kept to costumes that are, that are innocent and appropriate. Um, and uh, we, we often, we're one of those people that we redeem the holiday, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I put uh, gospel tracks, um, you know, in, in people's bags or, or have a if we're out of the house, I'll leave a, uh, a bag that has a candy tape to a gospel track or something like that. So <laughs> you, you can take one, you know, um, uh, signs, signs that say the better stuff's right here. Um, I, I do this with Christmas, too. I have a big Santa Claus. Uh, I know people have and we'll get into that maybe next uh-huh. yeah. about Santa Claus. I have a Santa Claus that's that's uh, um, animated that he moves around, he talks and stuff like that, and he's, and he's motion activated. And I noticed that a lot of people came up to him. So what I did is, is um, I put in his lap a, a little basket that looked like it was a, a gift basket, and inside was gospel tracks. And it's, I had a little sign that it said something like, um, uh, "I have a treat here for you, take one" or something like that. And kids would come up to it because they thought it was cool they wanted to little kids from the neighborhood they would come up to it and they would take one of these these kid gospel tracks so i try to i try to use any opportunity i can to get gospel tracks out there and so i I use halloween like that and i even do what's called a reverse trick-or-treating where you go out and knock on people's doors and and instead of asking for a treat you you give them a gospel track the only thing is don't don't your costume shouldn't be that of a jehovah's witness or a mormon yeah um that's right (laughs) well we we did the same thing with uh talking to our kids about horror and terror and all that but i gotta admit our neighbor uh we had a wacko for a neighbor something he was awesome (laughs) he was just our induction was the first night we lived in this house uh after we bought it he had cadets over he was a retired air force guy he had cadets over and he was uh, drinking uh, a whiskey or rum or something and shooting fire flames 
uh, using it as a torch <laughs> into the woods behind us. Like uh, on one hand, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's crazy. And the other hand, like, wow, that guy's crazy. I want to get to know him. Yeah. And so for Halloween the first year, he had out on his front uh, lawn a, a bench and a huge gorilla type uh, scary creature, bigger than I right. am, bigger than you are, huge, huge thing. And on Halloween, he actually got in the costume. Oh, so, so the kids in the neighborhood were used to this thing being oh, all of yeah. us were used to this thing being right. out there all all the time. And then we watched as kids would come up to his his door and he would just sit up and stand up rather and they would go running and screaming. <laughs> like, okay, that's really awful, but that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't condone that. Yeah, that's funny. We, we we had a couple guys in the neighborhood do stuff like that too, but they, they tried to pretend that they were um uh some a fake character sitting on the porch and as soon as the kid would walk up so my kids did that one year they, they, they walked to this house and the character that was sitting on the bench there next to the door jumped up and scared them and so now my kids won't go anywhere near that house <laughs> <laughs> so they always remember that's the house that had that guy <laughs> there's a couple of houses that my because we're, we're on the back side of our neighborhood of our community and so we had to drive through the community every time we go to our house and and my kids always remark well that's that halloween guy you know <laughs> he has a bad guy yeah. creep, he's got the creepy yard <laughs> it doesn't even have to be october and they'll, they'll they'll remember and say something about that person so lasting impressions but uh yeah we try to we we, we it's it's not even near what uh, halloween was supposed to be or started off as what we consider it now so right yeah so i i think it's a matter of conscience and liberty as far as that goes um so let's talk about assurance you know i i've got a there's a lot of folks who who uh who are genuine christians who struggle in this area sometimes in their life uh sometimes uh, uh frequently um and uh i have to i have to confess something to you doug um it's a good thing and a bad thing um and we talked about our testimonies before where where uh, we you know I, I mentioned that i've been saved since i was a kid I have never had a struggle in this area um, of, of assurance. I've never, for some reason, and that's not to say I haven't had a sin in my life, um, but I've never had a struggle in this area. And, and, and I'm praising the Lord for it, but at the same time, it, 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 it's one of those uh, lack of experience mm. in this area. And, but I can sympathize with those because I understand what they're saying. Uh, but I've never had that wrestling with it. And I've, I've agonized with folks and it's, it's been sad and, and heart wrenching to see some of my brothers and sisters in Christ who have really struggled in this area of assurance. And so I think it's something that, that uh, is a good topic for us to, to, to bring out today and discuss. Uh, there's been books written upon it, lengthy books. There's been points of view that have come out about it. Um, each theological system sometimes has their own way of understanding how you should have assurance. Uh, there's some people that would say that you can't have assurance hundred uh, percent, uh, that you should, you should, that that's over presumption. Um, <laughs> um, that, that they're saying that, uh, you, you, you're either presuming upon the grace of God or, or you're presuming upon your works, uh, that, that they've been good enough. So what, what's, let's talk about what the Bible has to say about, about uh, assurance of salvation, uh, what what is the, what does it mean to have assurance? Let's give a basic, basic definition or understanding of it. 
Uh, and that's why I like you as well, because uh, if you want to go straight <laughs> to the scripture. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's important. The Bible does speak to it, uh, even if it doesn't use that language. It, it uses mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the speaks of the concept regularly, um, just so that nobody accuses us of uh, committing the word concept fallacy. Um, <laughs> it's it's crucial for our walk of the Lord. It's crucial in many ways. Assurance, basically, as the as the word itself implies, is a Christian having confidence, having uh, a, a a sense that his that he or she is truly the Lord's, and mm-hmm. that their hope in eternal life uh, after death that 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 hope is based on reality. That that's not a false hope. It's not a it's not a, a myth. It's not a fantasy. It's it's real. It's it's a matter of time. But when the life, when this life comes to an end, we can be certain that we will wake up in the in the presence of Christ. That that matters, and that's important, and that's really what we're talking about. The question, you know, put it in question form is, how can a Christian uh, know? How how can you and I? You said you haven't struggled with it, and and I really mm-hmm. haven't either. Uh, but mm-hmm. there are Christians who do, and and how can they know that mm-hmm. uh, that their faith is real and that they really do belong to Christ? Those are those are very important questions for the Christian life, and I'm glad you framed this whole thing uh, more as a pastoral concern than a theological concern. We'll we'll talk about what the Bible says, and, and there are theological perspectives, but this is just so important for the life of every Christian. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've, I've in the in the past when I've talked to folks about uh, this topic, I've broken it up into two parts. I would say general assurance and um, uh, individual assurance. And we're speaking more about individual assurance today. General assurance, I, I would usually describe as uh, how do you, are, how are you assured that uh, the gospel is true and that there is saving power or there's a resurrection and then point to, you know, uh, passages in in first corinthians about the resurrection that if there is no resurrection mm-hmm. uh then it's then it's hopeless um there, there's a general assurance like that how do, how do we know and that's it goes into um uh, uh an apologetic if you will or, or, or polemic or is it polemic? no i'm using the wrong term here it's an, it's it's a, a way of looking at the scriptures to to find the the evidence based upon what christ did but we're talking specifically about individual assurance so some individual comes to you and says, you know, um, Pastor Doug, um, I'm not sure that, that, that I'm saved, um, I, I, and for various reasons, and we'll get into those. But what, what would you say, then, is the basis? Uh, what, what's the foundation of assurance in Christ? Um. I want to be careful here because I know there are people that would, they're going to misunderstand what I'm going to say. Uh, As I understand your question, the basis for our assurance is the transformed life. Mm -hmm. Now it obviously starts with the gospel, believing the truth about Jesus and and accepting Mm -hmm. that and assenting that to that in our, in our hearts and our minds. But the way you pose the question, the answer is as our life is transformed that shows that the Spirit of God is truly at work, uh, that we are new creatures. The, uh, the new birth that Jesus talked about in John 3 when he's talking about Nicodemus, and he says the, the, the flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit to, to spirit. Um, you know, we can create human beings 
but we can't give spiritual new life that that transformed heart that that Ezekiel mm-hmm. talked about the new heart where, where God is working in us to make us want to do what pleases him we can't conjure that up we can't manufacture that we can't just create that that's not a flesh thing that's a spirit thing and if you have the spirit of God and he is making you more like Christ and giving you a heart and a passion to serve Christ that is proof positive that you have been born anew and so that's how I would answer that question. The transformed life, our, our sanctification, our love for God, our love for Jesus, our love for people, our desire to please him, that's the evidence that the Spirit of God has truly made us new. And if he has, then, uh, then we have assurance that we will live forever. Mm. So <clears throat> let's get uh, uh, even, even more down to the, the, the deck plate here with practicalness uh, or, you know, things that are, that are often, often experienced or said. Um, but first of all, before, before I get there, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you, do you counsel folks a lot, uh, Christians a lot? Do you find it's part of a typical Christian experience or life that of, of, of um, them doubting or having a lack of assurance? Absolutely. And that is explainable uh, by a couple of things. One is we have an enemy who mm. one of the things he is called is the accuser. Mm-hmm. And even though he has no right to accuse us anymore, uh, if you go back and think of Zechariah chapter three, for instance, uh, and revelation talks about this, the accuser has been thrown out of heaven, so to speak. It, that hasn't stopped him. And he desperately wants to discourage us. He wants to cause us to question our relationship with Jesus. And, and so much damage is done when we're uncertain, we get paralyzed. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we're afraid and we're discouraged. We feel guilty. We feel awful. And it's really hard to thrive in the Christian life. It's hard to, to be free to help others, to teach others, to, to, to raise our kids, whatever it is we're called to do. It's hard to do that when there's a, a constant doubting and wondering, mm-hmm. am I really a believer is my faith genuine you're you're not mm-hmm. going to have the confidence to Mm-mm. instruct someone else if you're not convinced that you yourself are in in the camp uh, right. you know you're just not and, and so it does great great damage the other uh the other thing that i have seen that is i would say in our day equally contributing to uh people's doubting is their relationship with their parents hmm. especially their fathers Mm. Uh, in the in the folks that I have counseled, many 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 of them over the years, if if you come from parents where everything was criticized, everything was doubted, the the aroma of the home was tense and hostile and disapproving, and you know you were scared to get in trouble, scared to do anything wrong. Any kind of uh, mistake was treated as failure and there's lots of yelling and all that kind of thing, or the opposite, uh, complete neglect where just, there was no one watching over you to give you approval. If you don't have dad's approval, your parents' approval and acceptance, it's really hard for a person to believe that God, the father Mm -hmm. accepts and approves them. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation where people know the right theology. They would answer mm-hmm. it exactly right. correctly on a theology test, 
they will repeat to me exactly the right answers about the mm-hmm. gospel and about God's love for them and acceptance and what happened on the cross and all those things. And then say, do you believe, do you feel, do you sense in the inner man that God accepts you in Christ? And the answer is, I don't even know where to begin, what that would look like. Mm. And so much of it's tied back to parents. Do, do you also see assurance, a lack of assurance tied to depression? Uh, definitely. Um, every person that I have counseled who struggles mm-hmm. with so-called depression, uh, I should mm-hmm. say it this way. No one that I've ever, ever counseled that uh, struggles with that came from really outstanding, approving parents. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be mm-hmm. some. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying yeah. in my experience, as I've counseled right. folks that struggle with that, it's very similar. Uh, they just have this weight on their shoulders of disapproval, and it's hard for them to believe that God accepts them in Christ when the, the authority figures over them didn't. And that leads oftentimes to uh, what we call depression and, right. and melancholy and just the struggle to find right. hope and joy in this life. Yeah. The reason I ask is in, in first John, you have, um, you know, the, it's an epistle that's written. And one of the primary reasons that unifying, one of the unifying reasons uh, that, for the other points it makes is for assurance. And um, you see one of the points that's tied to that is joy. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that there's a there's a there's a connection between uh, joy and assurance. That if you're not if you're not assured that you are saved and redeemed and and, and beloved by God, then that'll rob you of your joy, your Christian joy. Um, and, and versus uh, assurance, where mm-hmm. you where you have an extreme amount of joy that's in your life. You look at the. If I always think about whenever I think of joy, Christian joy, I always think about. Uh, Paul being in prison and him and the others were singing praises and, 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 and uh, um, even in a situation like that, they were able to be joyous and sing songs and praise God because they knew who they belonged to. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's one thing that we, but, but those who don't have that assurance who struggle in that area, uh, they're being robbed of that joy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and mm-hmm. we, we started to go down the, the biblical path here. Let me, let me, open up the scripture and, and talk mm-hmm. to this very thing. Uh, Peter writes about this in second Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, it is crucial. And in fact, as Christians, we need to understand it is a command to be sure. Mm-hmm. All right. This is not just a theological thing, not even just a pastoral right. thing. It's not that your life will be better. It's a command. We, we need to submit to this. Um, so in, in second Peter chapter one, uh, I'll just back up to verse four here. Uh, well, and no, I should back up verse two should uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, uh, which is a, what a wonderful statement that is that we have everything we need mm-hmm. to live and to be godly. Uh, he's done this through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So all these things God has done, he, it's his grace, it's his power, it's his, his glory, his promises held out for us. That's, he's all describing all these things that are true of God and gifts that he's given to us and that kind of thing. And then he gets to what we need to do. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, 
supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're just talking about joy and, and how to walk Christian life and not be depressed and that kind of thing. He, he's giving us this list of things to pursue and mm -hmm. that knowledge of mm -hmm. Jesus will grow, that true knowledge, that deeper knowledge, and we won't be unfruitful. Then he goes on, for he who lacks these is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, mm -hmm. brethren, and here's where he gets to the command that I was talking about, therefore be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So here Peter is, is saying it is a command. We are required by Jesus himself to be certain that we are part of the elect. And he tells us here how to do it. And this is so crucial. There's this is where, again, theology just can become such a detriment to the truth, which is sad to say. But when we, when we mm -hmm. read the Bible from a, a systematic theology perspective primarily, uh, easy to, to uh, eviscerate passages like this. And there are, there are people in every theological camp that tend to want, especially today, I would say, that tend to want to remove any real pursuit of righteousness. Uh, I, I follow a guy who used to be actually an NCT guy, and now he's, he's become a Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a friend of mine, and uh, we've interacted <laughs> on different levels and taught together. Uh, but I, you know, the stuff he tweets all the time, uh, is, and the stuff he retweets, is all about you know, grace, 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 and mm -hmm. any sense of Christians pursuing sanctification right they want to set aside in fact he retweeted something that a, a colleague of his said something along the lines of i get more sanctification out of the lord's supper than all my years of pursuing moral change that's that's not biblical that's not good uh here peter is saying right. the way we know that we are part of the elect is by adding mm -hmm. these moral things, by growing in these moral things, excellence and knowledge mm -hmm. and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love. Now, this is not a this is not a, a, a one, two, three step kind of thing where you first you start with uh, the first one he mentions, which is uh, faith. And now once you get faith good or, you know, you get that solid, now add moral excellence. And then once you get that good, then add knowledge. It's not that kind of thing. But as we are living the transformed life, it is proving, as I said at the beginning, it's proving the Spirit of God is actually at work, and that's what gives us assurance. We look back and say, I used to battle those temptations. I don't battle them anymore. I've overcome them, or I can overcome them quickly. Or In this case, I, my knowledge of, of God has truly grown, not just 
Bible knowledge and book, book knowledge, but my relationship, my communion, my, my, my intimacy with Christ has grown and my, my love for righteousness and my hatred for unrighteousness has grown. My faith is stronger. I, I used to doubt some and I used to struggle to really believe that God would, 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 would care for me. And, and now it's growing stronger. And when the hard times come, uh, I'm, I'm more and quicker to say, yep, but God's in this and he's got this, those kind of things. All of that is evidence. The spirit of God is at work, which then makes us fruitful and joyful. It matters to the Lord Jesus that we pursue these things. Hmm. Now, let me ask you, does, does doctrine matter? Does, does, um, uh, can, can we appear to, to have a form of sanctification of love for others and, and such, uh, but yet deny the truth of the scriptures uh, uh, or, or essentials of the gospel. Uh, does that does that play a role here? Um, certainly, doctrine matters. And and you brought up First John mm-hmm. earlier. That's uh, you know, John tells right. us why he wrote that letter, and that was so that those of us who profess faith mm-hmm. would be certain of our hope in eternal life. And one of the things he says in First John is you have to have the right understanding of who Jesus is. You can't believe in a mm-hmm. false Jesus. Right. And I think it's fine to extrapolate mm-hmm. that some and say, you know, you've mm-hmm. got to believe who his father is. And, and, you know, there are certain things that if you deny these truths, then you are outside of mm-hmm. uh, Christianity. Right. So absolutely doctrine matters, but not doctrine alone. Uh, the Pharisees had right. a lot of the right doctrine. And Jesus said, mm-hmm. when you make a convert, you make him twice the son of hell as you are yourself. Uh, it's got to go right. way beyond just the right knowledge. It has to start there, and it can't be less than that. Mm-hmm. But John goes on to say in First John, you have to have a love for your brother. If you don't love your brother uh, who you can see, you're lying when you say you love God whom you cannot see. Uh, love for the neighbor, love mm-hmm. for our brother, love for fellow Christians is absolutely essential to have assurance that you have eternal life. And then just moral purity itself, hating what, what the world loves, hating the things that are against Christ's commands and loving what Christ commands. Those are all evidence that your faith is real and gives you assurance that you have eternal life. Hmm. Let me, let me, uh, let me play the role of, uh, of uh, someone who has a, uh... Pastor Doug, I, I, I have solid doctrine. Um, uh, I, I'm a faithful member of my church, and um, uh, I, I don't see any areas of great sin that I'm struggling with right now. I'm sure there are, but um, uh, I just uh, I don't feel saved. I don't feel uh, loved by God, or, or I don't feel the presence of God. What, what, what can you say to me? Uh, first of all, you, you don't sound like uh, you're pretending like you are somebody in my church. I've had this conversation numerous times. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Mm-hmm. So several different things I, I want to address there at some point with you uh, and not necessarily all in one meeting. But uh, you casually said you're not aware of any unrepentant sin, but you're sure there is some. OK, well, that's that in mm-hmm. itself it may be careless speech, but. Mm-hmm. Unrepentant sin is certainly one of the great causes of uh, lack of assurance. Uh, if there's some sin mm-hmm. that you're harboring, you know, uh, I've seen this. Uh, for instance, uh, a young man recently that I was counseling who was just, he'd gone from the 
kind of guy who is just, uh, he's young, but seems so wise beyond his years. And uh, both doctrinally, theologically, uh, but also in other areas, just maturity and, and all the kinds of things. Just, just you know, a, a, a great Christian potential. And we were talking, mm-hmm. and he was down, and uh, we talked and talked and talked, and I, there just didn't seem to be any good reason for him to be so down. And uh, so uh, I'm trying to be careful here because uh, I don't want to uh, give away who it might right, be, right. but uh, for anybody who around here is listening. But basically, uh, I, I called him to truth. I called him to say out loud to me what, uh, what he understands about God and salvation, all those things. And I finally said, you just mm-hmm. need to pray. You need to pray to Jesus. He, he had not been praying. I said, you need to pray right now and talk to, talk to Jesus, you know, right here in front of me. And, and he did. He broke down crying. It was great. And he, he confessed some of his apathy and lethargy and some of those things. And, uh, and then I went in and put my hands on him and I prayed for him. And it was one of those moments when I thought, oh, this is awesome. This, this is going to transform this young man's life. He, this is, oh, Lord, thank you. you know? And I was praising the Lord and thanking the Lord out loud before him because he's, he's just weeping. Mm-hmm. And this is a great thing. And, and we get done. And I'm expecting him to get up because I've had, I've done this multiple times with people and uh, expecting him to just feel like the weight of the world had been lifted from his shoulders and he's going to go conquer the world for Jesus. Now this is wonderful. And he didn't, he was heavy and he was still downtrodden and he was still pessimistic and mm. doubting the Lord and doubting himself and doubting his relationship with the Lord and all this. And I was sitting there just thinking and praying as I was talking to him, what in the world? And I finally looked him right in the eye and said, please tell me there is not some big time sin that you're committing that you don't want to tell me about. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he confessed. He didn't want to confess this to the Lord out loud and didn't want to tell me, but he confessed to a pretty significant sin. Mm-hmm. And that was robbing all of his joy and certainly robbing all of his assurance. Yeah. Scripture talks about fear of the Lord, even in the new Testament. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a literal translation fear the lord if you are Mm -hmm. in unrepentant sin you have every reason to fear confronting Mm -hmm. jesus or being confronted by jesus now the good news is Mm -hmm. i'm gonna hasten to add that's been several weeks ago and he has repented of that sin (laughs) and there is joy in his heart again and he's in the word and he's praying regularly and he is experiencing uh he he has assurance he he believed that uh, that repentance is evidence the spirit was at work, but he lost all joy because of his unrepentant sin. So that's a big one in response to the question you asked me. So I would want to probe around with you and see, is there anything in there that, uh, that you're hiding? Uh, Cause that'll, that'll certainly destroy your assurance. Yeah. One, one of the side notes, I just want to interject. One of the side notes um, from this, I'm listening to you is, is this being stressed in what you're saying is the importance of, of involvement um, in Christians with each mm. other's lives. Um, too often people who, who, who confess to another Christian, uh, you know, that they're struggling with a sin or with, with, um, assurance, they, they get these cliche pat answers, um, and just casually thrown at them, dismissed, you know, to be, you're not doing this enough or you're, they're just, but you took the time to dig into his life. Um, and, and at some point he felt, 
I need to talk to him. I need to tell him. And that's, that's what we need to do. We need to, the church needs to be involved in each other's lives so that when we do struggle with things like this, uh, we can talk and come to each other and get ministering from one another. Uh, so let me just encourage everybody out there that um, don't think of church as just something you go and you check in, check out. Uh, these are people that you're supposed to be involved in their lives. You have something to add to their sanctification, their growth in Christ, and they have something to add to you. Uh, uh, so, so love, you know, to love one another in this way. So that's, that's just well, my absolutely. little two cents and, right and there. Anybody who's listening who's a pastor, an elder, we must model this. Again, mm-hmm. being, being in, in theological circles, it is so easy to think that ministry and the ministry that matters is teaching theology. Mm-hmm. And again, that's important. Uh, we, we have a school. We, we, we call it New Covenant School of Theology. <laughs> and I, you, know, you and I spend a lot of time in these podcasts talking about uh, mm-hmm. doctrinal things mm-hmm. and truth. But the transformed life is what we're after. And truth is part yes. of that. And it's an essential part of that. But we want to see people who have, uh, well, as we say all the time, who are intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. And right. if pastors are not modeling right. that and involved in the lives of people, if we get up and spend all week long studying and get up Sunday morning and we preach and we say, job well done, I just think as shepherds, when we stand before the chief shepherd, he's going to say, I called mm-hmm. you to more than teaching. Look at his own life. Right. You just described it. That's exactly what he did. He spent time with the disciples mm-hmm. day in and day out, teaching them, but showing them, encouraging them and challenging them. You can't do that from the pulpit. You, you just can't. No. Right. Um, so right. another thing I wanted to mention about the uh, unrepentant sins, and I can say this publicly because, because uh, it is public. So I don't know if you have read a book that we published called Bitter Truth. Have you seen that one? No, I, ha- I saw that advertised and I've seen it on the website and I haven't gotten on yet. So that is a, uh, a true story written by our music director. And uh, I, I tell people that's the only book that I know of that I've ever inspired. Um, she, she was very, <laughs> very bitter at me for a long, long time. And uh, again, we should yeah, keep, I say this every time, write this down. We should do an episode just on this story because it is a wonderful story of God's redemption in her life. And even pastorally for mm. me, um, you know, looking at the church like a, a, a business, I should have fired her a long time ago, but the Lord just wouldn't let me. And uh, just an amazing mm. story of God's grace to her. And now we're very good friends and all is well. And she wrote it. She wrote the story in the book and it's, it's worth reading. Uh, especially anybody who struggles with mm. bitterness or knows someone who does uh, it just, she, the right. way she articulates what it's like for the bitter person to struggle with it, to, to with the worldview she has and how she interprets everything is tremendous. But so for all these years that I was public enemy number one for her, uh, she had no joy and was constantly mm. doubting her salvation, constantly doubting mm. her hope of right. eternal life. And, and she had to fight, and I there again. I, I there are all kinds of reasons why she should not have been leading our music ministry. And and if someone comes and says you were wrong for letting her stay there, I would agree. Except the Lord wouldn't let me dismiss her. Um, I still I look back and say I don't understand it because I would counsel someone else in this position to let her go, but I just I just did not believe the Lord wanted me to do that. Mm. Um, and now I think I know why, because he had a plan to, to restore her. Um, but through that whole time, mm-hmm. you know, I counseled her, we talked, we worked together closely, and she just, there was no 
joy whatsoever in her heart and her life because she was in unrepentant bitterness toward me, toward others as well. I just sort of became the the focal point, but I wasn't the one that caused (laughs) uh, the original bitterness. And now she's a totally different person. And now she, she sings with such joy and she is hopeful and she wants (laughs) others to find hope. She goes around to different churches teaching on the teaching women on this to help them uh, be free of this. She gets it. And there's no doubt in her mind what's going to happen when she dies. And she never had that for years mm. because she was enslaved to the sin, or at least she was acting enslaved to the sin, and it had such a hold on her. It's crucial. So you brought that up in your example, and I huh. just don't want to blow by that too quickly because we right. downplay it. We right. lie to ourselves. We kid ourselves. We deceive ourselves. If you are in unrepentant sin, known sin, you know, I'm not talking about the all of us could be better at this or that, and they're, you know, whatever, but we know there are, there are things that we just know are habitual, continual and we ignore it, we deny it, we, we enjoy the sin, when you get there, you're not going to find joy with Jesus, and you're not going to be sure of what's going to happen when you die, no matter what your theology is. Inside, mm-hmm. you're going to be doubting because you know you are defying the Lord Jesus, and you don't want to meet him. You know, when Hebrews, when it talks about boldly entering the throne of grace, I talk to people all mm-hmm. the time who struggle with this, they don't mm-hmm. want to enter the throne of grace because they're ashamed of their sin. And the one place they could get help, mm-hmm. they won't go because of their sin. And the first thing you got to do is right. confess that sin and just watch the weight lift off your shoulders. And now that assurance comes back. So it's crucial that, uh, that we are very honest with ourselves about our, our sin. If you're going to have assurance and joy. Uh, yeah. I think it sounds like what you're saying is just a commentary of, of, a lot of John right now with what you're saying. Uh, if, he, if you confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us uh, of, of unrighteousness. Um, you yeah. About to say so, and then just picking up uh, some other things that you said there, uh, you talk about feeling. We certainly don't want to base our yeah. assurance on our hmm. feeling. And now I, I, I don't right. believe that we should disregard them altogether. Again, as we were just describing, right. some of that feeling not saved, so to speak, could be a result of an uh, indicator that there's sin that we need to deal with. Um, there is an, an inner mm-hmm. man component of this. Romans 8 talks about how the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talk to people about this, I say there's external evidence and there's internal evidence. I believe the Bible teaches both. The internal evidence mm-hmm. is the spirit of God speaking to our own spirit, communicating to our own spirit, I belong to him. He is my father. I have the freedom and the right, and I don't hesitate to speak to God as Abba Father, to to talk to Jesus as my Lord and my friend, uh, my Savior, my hope. Uh, I, I talk to him that way because I feel, I sense, I believe in the inner man, this is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have that, mm-hmm. then there's no way you're going to believe that you have eternal life because inside everything is saying, no, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you, you need that. And so I think for someone who's struggling with this to ask the Lord, just Lord, in your grace and mercy, I'm not sensing in my spirit that you're confirming this. Would you, would you do that? Would you, would you in your grace, give me that, that inner peace. Now, the problem is we all know people who have that inner peace that don't have the external evidence and they shouldn't have inner peace because right. there's no evidence of the, of the change. And that's, 
again, the sanctification, the external evidence is the stuff we looked at in Second Peter and talked about in First John. And it's true there in Romans 8 as well. As we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, that is external confirmation that we are His. If we are overcoming sin, hating our sin, uh, believing that Jesus died for that sin and that we can overcome it, as we live not of slaves of sin, Romans 6, but slaves of righteousness, that is proof positive we are His, and if we're His, we have eternal life. Okay, so I've got three points then. Um listening to you we've got internal external and doctrinal mm-hmm. okay um let's let's back up to um uh, and it, it, some of this may sound a little bit redundant but i want to just make sure i'm hitting specifics for for those who who uh say yeah that's kind of where i'm at or what but not not directly um and i want to i want to ask these questions specifically for them so that is if they were able to get these questions to me so i can ask you specifically they maybe they don't have someone they can talk to um, have not approached their pastor or another saint about this. Um, so I'm going to present a couple of guys to you here. So um, what, do you, what would you say to someone who's um, a saint who uh, says, Pastor Doug, I, I've, um, I'm really wrestling with my assurance right now because of, uh, I, just, I just see my imperfections. I see um, that I'm not growing in Christ the way I think I should be. Um, I... I struggle with, with, um, I, I struggle with, with road rage or, um, I, 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 I can, I can find myself being uh, uncharitable sometimes. What, what should Christians be acting like that? Should, should, is, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Uh, no, not, not automatically. Um, the, again, <laughs> I referred to Romans six, you are free of slavery to sin. Those are temptations that you can overcome. Mm-hmm. But the first thing to do right. in that moment is ask, are you confessing those as sin? Do you, do you agree that those are sin? Do you uh, take them to the Lord when they happen? And do you believe that you are forgiven? Uh, remember, the entire Christian life is predicated on belief, on faith. And what we mm-hmm. are believing mm-hmm. is that we are sinners. So when you sin... Mm-hmm. You're simply agreeing that that part of the gospel is true. At least you're a sinner in need of a savior. Do you also believe and agree that Jesus t- died on the cross for those sins? Again, the enemy is constantly trying to cause doubt. He's constantly accusing. He wants to get our eyes off of the cross and onto our own sin. There is a place for introspection. There's a place for confession and repentance mm-hmm. and looking at our lives. But we're not supposed to look at ourselves the majority of the time we're supposed to look to Jesus. The majority okay. of the time I had this uh, discussion with a, a young woman, a young uh, married woman recently. She's been married uh, just less than two years. And because of her past sexual sin, it was inhibiting her relationship with her husband now. And she was just, just mm-hmm. guilt ridden over it. And so it's not current sin, but it's even it's past sin. Mm. And I say, right, right. Do you believe the gospel? Because every, all these feelings you're describing about being ashamed and, and being unworthy of your husband and unworthy to enjoy sex with him and all those things because of past sin, I said, you need to be very careful because that sounds dangerously like a rejection of the gospel. Mm. Her husband is not rejecting her at all. This is all in her mm-hmm. own heart and her own conscience. And I said, 
you need to believe the gospel. Those sins that you committed before you were married, mm-hmm. Jesus paid the price for those. Either he took all of that punishment or he took none of it, and you're going to bear it. So those are the options. If he took all of it, then who are you to say you're unworthy to enjoy his good gifts now? And to her credit, uh, and by God's grace, uh, she took that seriously. And in a short amount of time, it has made a huge difference because she had just, I, you know, my sin is so much worse than everybody else's. Sometimes we feel that way. I, I'm just, I'm unworthy. Yes, I, I know God died for my sin. I know he died for your sin and you're forgiven. But me, I don't know. I just feel like my sin is so much worse than everybody else's. That's a, that's a denial of the gospel. That's a, not a, I don't mean she's, you know, wasn't saved. I just mean that's, you have, we have to believe no matter what our sin is, Jesus paid the price. Hmm. All right. Let me give you another one. <laughs> I'm going to take it a little step further than the guy that I described. Okay. Paul he says, uh, pastor Doug, um, uh, I believe uh, this, in this, what the Bible tells me about Jesus dying for my sin um, and, uh, I, 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 I believe I love the Lord and, uh, his people. And I keep finding myself though, uh, getting inebriated. I keep finding myself in, in drunken stupors, um, or I keep finding myself back at the computer, uh, watching pornography, or, um, I keep finding myself, um, in the bed of another person. Um, and, 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 I know these things are wrong, uh, but I, I'm, I just can't seem to shake it. I can't seem to stop. And because I can't, I, I, I doubt my, my salvation. Well, yeah. <laughs> you are acting like someone who is enslaved to sin. And if you are truly enslaved to sin, then you are not a Christian. And mm-hmm. so you need to repent of these things now. Mm-hmm. And by repent, I wouldn't mean feel bad about them or even agree that they're wrong. Right. I would say you walk away from them and I'm happy to help. And uh, we're going to take this to a couple of other people and uh, maybe a couple of elders and have them pray for you mm-hmm. and, uh, and also know about it so that they can be some accountability for you. Uh, if you do not overcome these sins, uh, eventually, and I would say fairly soon, uh, we're going to have to treat you like an unbeliever. I mean, uh, uh, let me get out of role playing here. I believe those are the kinds of things that uh, are intended to lead to church discipline when they are public mm-hmm. heinous sins mm-hmm. that are not right. repented of. Right. And so, no matter how bad a person feels about them. Uh, repentance mm-hmm. and the power of the spirit should and must lead to, to freedom there. One of the things, I don't know if, if your church does this in our church, every single Sunday after the service, our elders are up front with oil to, uh, to pray for people. And the J- James mm. five, that, that passage is mm-hmm. almost always used in the context of physical <laughs> healing. <laughs> right. I'm right. not convinced that's the primary application there. Uh, right. The word is weakness, and sometimes weakness is used for physical weakness in the Bible, in the Gospels especially. But more often, I believe it's used as spiritual weakness, and I, I, that seems to be the, the easier, the more natural mm-hmm. con- uh, context there in James 5, because there's some significant promises held out there. Let me, just, let me just read that for anyone who may not be familiar with exactly mm-hmm. what is being said. But 
this is a, a crucial part of this in my mind. So uh, James here says, is anyone among you sick is the way it's usually translated, but the word is weak. So let me just keep it more literal here. Is anyone among you weak? He must call the elders. So it's his responsibility to call the elders uh, of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, so that's the prayer offered by the elders, will restore mm -hmm. the one who is weak, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. The whole mm -hmm. context seems to me like, and the promise there, I mean, it's, a, it's not a, mm -hmm. a possibility. No, this is confusing for people when we pray for them for medical, uh, physical healing, and they're not healed. It sure sounds like James is saying the Lord will raise them up. But if it's primarily mm -hmm. spiritual weakness he has in mind, it makes perfect sense. So th you, the person you just described, you're struggling with these sins. The first thing mm -hmm. I would tell you to do mm -hmm. is show up Sunday morning and ask the elders to anoint you and pray. Now, you have to come confessing mm -hmm. this is sin and not just saying it, I mm -hmm. feel bad about it or I think it's wrong, but acknowledging I am sinning against the Lord Jesus when I do these things. I'm asking for your help, gentlemen. I'm asking for the Lord's help to overcome this. And the elders anoint you and pray for you. There's a promise here that the Lord will respond, that he will raise you up. He will forgive that sin and you will walk in, in greater strength. And I can tell you after years of doing this as a church, we have seen this over and over and over and over and over again. People overcoming temptation, mm -hmm. people getting stronger in their faith, uh, fighting sin uh, w when they are obedient and come and ask the elders mm -hmm. to pray. And our elders pray in faith that the Lord will give them the strength to overcome. So uh, at some point, mm -hmm. I would say if there's no overcoming there, then the person's not a believer and they have every reason to be afraid. Right. Uh, but if they're very, very weak uh, in this fight, then James gives us some instruction on how to deal with that. Right. So while we should be trying to minister to true saints and, and bolstering their assurance, we need to be careful that we're not offering assurance to those who truly are not saved. If you're an unrepented sin, there is no good reason for anybody to assure you that you belong to Jesus. Right. You may, you know, sin does not, we're all sinners still, and there, we, it doesn't automatically render us out of the kingdom. But if you're in known unrepentant sin, you should not have assurance. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. Right. 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 True. True. Um, let, let, let's um, ask some, some other questions. Uh, let me ask you a question about uh, as a pastor, um, what do you think uh, a church, um, a uh, Bible study home group uh, from a church or as an individual saint, what, what are some practical things that we can do to ensure that we are maintaining our assurance, if you will? What's what some yeah ways we can do that uh certainly teaching these kind of things uh and not just teaching them mm -hmm. formally but informally uh so the kind of conversation that you and i are pretending to have here that's the kind that we should all be having you know you'll be at coffee with some guy mm -hmm. and it'll be clear he's kind of down and and mm -hmm. just not joyful and you probe a little bit and find mm -hmm. out you know things at home are okay and things at work are okay well yeah, what is it sometimes it's Right. Uh, one of these areas, it's unrepentant sin. It's just a lack of joy, a lack of hope, a lack of assurance. And sometimes that could be the overt unrepentant sin we've been talking about. Sometimes that's lethargy. 
they're just not spending time in God's word. They're not spending time in prayer that they've avoided church mm-hmm. uh, gatherings quite a bit. And they're, they're weak and they're removed from, from the life sources that God has given us, those kind of things. Um, and so to yeah. encourage them to, to get back to those things that uh, the Lord uses to, uh, to draw us close to him and to, to sanctify us, those kind of things. So I think, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, just being involved in the lives of people enough where you kind of see what's going on and uh, are willing to encourage one another. That's what, uh, in, the, in the context of Hebrews 10, where we're told not to forsake the assembly, which, by the way, certainly does not apply only to Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> small right. groups would, would be part of that. Any, any gathering of Christians, we, are, we must gather together as Christians. And he says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, we mm-hmm. are, we're generally, it seems like Christians are afraid to do that. Uh, we, we felt, mm. we feel self-righteous, um, right. or we're, we feel unworthy because our own lives are not in order. And so it's like, I'm not going to challenge you when I've got work to do. Well, okay. Do your own work <laughs> and get after it and then be willing to call someone. We need that. I need that. You need that. We, we all need right. people close enough to us to say, Hey brother, uh, I'm detecting some down, some dis- despair here. Uh, let's talk because we're supposed to be filled with joy. What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we there years ago. I met a man who who scared me to death, and I loved him to death. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he uh, he would walk up to you, um, and uh, you know, it, it didn't take long to, for him to do this. You didn't have to be like um, someone he'd known for a long time. Uh, after usually after one or two encounters. And, and again, it didn't take long because this guy instantly became your best friend. Uh, one of those type of guys. But uh, instead of asking you, you know, about how's your work going or anything like that, he would drive, dive straight in and he would, you know, he had a grin on a smile on his face. He had warmth in his eyes. And he says, he says, uh, Hey brother, how's the Lord Ooh. working in your life? Or he would say, how, how are you struggling today? And he wouldn't say like in your life vaguely, you know, he'd say, what, what are you struggling with today? You know, uh, how have you served the Lord today? And he would, he would insert himself and try to draw out uh, your, 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 your heart. And um, I thought that was a wonderful thing. Like I said, he terrified me and he overjoyed me at the same time. <laughs> and he was a good example to me uh, of how we are oftentimes too superficial in our fellowship with one another. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, 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 um, in first John, it's another key word that you pick up on with this whole assurance is fellowship, uh, joy, fellowship, assurance, uh, there's fellowship, uh, so that you can be part of the fellowship and also the, fel- the, the part that fellowship with one another has in bolstering our assurance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, we need to work harder on in that area uh, in churches and, and fellowship groups of being part of each other's lives where, where we, uh, don't have a fear or have a fear of others uh, jumping into our hearts and, and trying to pull that out. From us. And, and that plays right into the assurance issue as well, because we to live in community and, you know, just like a, you know, a sports team or something, there's hope when the team is, is rallying together and, and, and working together, you just, you sort of feel hopeful, like we're, we're going somewhere and the same kind of thing, right. the courage and the, and the, the, the joy that I, I'm not a lone ranger. There, there's not supposed to be lone ranger Christians right. in, in the world. We're, we are in a community. And when you, when you hang out with people that love the same things that you do and are willing to say the hard things that you see their, 
uh, their pursuit of righteousness and their overcoming temptation and that kind of thing, it gives you hope and, and, it, and it gives assurance mm-hmm. that this, this is real. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is true. I see, I see him working in your life as well. The spirit of God is, is working. That gives us hope that this is, this is the true thing. And, uh, and we, we must have that. The, the number one term used in terms of relationships between Christians is courage. Uh, you know, the, the mm-hmm. uh, in terms of numerical frequency, the number one command in the entire New Testament is fear not, mm-hmm. not, not love. It's not love. That's not the, the number. That's not the most repeated command. Mm-hmm. It's fear not. That tells me mm-hmm. one of our biggest <laughs> concerns is fear. We're, one of our biggest obstacles is fear or temptations. And how do we overcome that fear? We spur one another on. We hang out with people who will give us courage. And again, fear is a big uh, detractor from assurance. Uh, we're afraid. I mm-hmm. might not make it. I might not be in. I might not, whatever. And, and being around those who are with us gives us courage. And no, this, this really is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think not only are we to dive into people's lives, but we should also uh, make ourselves uh, people that, that others will want to open up to and right. talk to, um, to show, to be, to be loving at all times, whether there's a, someone struggling or not, because when they do struggle, you want to be someone that they can come to and uh, right. talk to. There's well. one other passage that is absolutely uh, essential to at least reference here. Uh, and that is James, mm-hmm. uh, James two, but really the mm-hmm. whole book of James, uh, James two, right. <laughs> he says it so clearly faith without works is dead. That kind of mm-hmm. faith doesn't save anybody. If you're, if you're, there are not works that show that your faith is genuine, then your faith is dead. It's not a real faith. It's not a living faith. It's not a saving mm-hmm. faith. And again, the church historically has always struggled with keeping the right perspective of faith and works. And I would say maybe a generation or two ago, at least the stereotype of the fundamentalists and such was that you know, it was, it was legalistic, it was workspace and all that. I think we've swung the other way where to really mm. proclaim the necessity of works, people want to put that immediately into the legalistic camp. And if you read your Bible, right. you read your Bible more than once. And the more you read your Bible, <laughs> it is all over the place. Faith right. must show forth in works, not because those works earn salvation, but because they are the evidence that your faith is genuine, which again leads to assurance. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, sir, do you have anything else to add? That's probably enough. I, I just, you know, I, uh, you brought this, you said this as a co- uh, pastoral context, and uh, I would encourage everyone to do what we've been talking about. Uh, if you're struggling with your own insurance, uh, assurance, uh, pursue, pursue <laughs> these things. And, and just be so aware the enemy is working hard to discourage those around us. And we need to constantly be thinking about how we can help our brothers and sisters find the joy of their salvation. And if you are struggling with your insurance, you should see your insurance agent. <laughs> That's right. Don't see me. I can't help you with that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we, we, while you're listening to this, I'll be on vacation myself for a few days. That's why we're recording this early. So, um, so uh, hi from vacation. Um, <laughs> so, if, if I guess it's it for today. Um, feel free to contact us at chris at crossthecrown.org. 
And like I've said before, check out our website at crossthecrown.org. There's a, there's a humongous amount of information that you can find there. A lot of great resources, reading, audio, visual, um, current sermons that, that are being released by, by Doug as he's preaching them on Sundays, uh, old ones, new ones from NCT writers. There's, a, there's a, also you can purchase books uh, on that website as well. You can um, check us out on Cross the Crown Ministries on Facebook, and there is a host of stuff that comes out all the time, so you're going to want to like that page and check it often. I know sometimes people have a once-a-day rule for themselves where they go to Facebook once a day, so make sure that that once-a-day is, is spent well, and uh, check out Cross the Crown on Facebook as well. Uh, feel free to leave us a note or a message, uh, a review on your platform that you're listening to this podcast on. Give us some uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, smiley faces, some frownies, whatever it might be, uh, stars or whatever else they have in comparison to stars on, on your platform. And just leave us some reviews. We really enjoy listening and uh, or, or reading those and, and getting good feedback, whether it be uh, the sound is too low or, or you guys have no idea what you're talking about um, or, or, <laughs> or the encouragement that you, you often leave us. But we really appreciate it. And uh, may the Lord bless you. And we want to encourage you, as always to live the Christ-obsessed life in all things at all times.